open up your Bible with me, if you will, to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. And for those of you that are visiting with us, let me just say that we've been involved in a series that we've called Learning from the Testimonies of Old Testament Men and Women. Nehemiah 8 begins an important section in the testimony that Nehemiah gives us in the book named after him. It's all about revival. I believe with every ounce and fiber of my being that the desperate and the urgent need of today is spiritual awakening. It is true revival. When I think about the mindless violence that is characterizing our nation, what happened in El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio, and those mass murders, shake, makes me shake my head and wonder how in the world have we come to this crazy place in our nation. When I hear the political debate, now it's not a debate, the hate that we have for one another, it's not enough for us to disagree. We have to demonize and seek to destroy anyone that doesn't agree with us. And we say the meanest things about one another. When I think about the attacks on our families, on our churches, on our community, on our schools, on our nation, I understand that we are courting a severe judgment of God unless there is spiritual awakening in the land. And I believe with all of my heart that spiritual awakening won't come from Washington. It won't be proclaimed by a president, won't be legislated by a Congress, will not be declared by a Supreme Court. If spiritual awakening happens, it'll happen in places like Wynn Baptist Church throughout our country. Nehemiah 8 starts a section. Nehemiah 8, 9, and 10 is really about one of the great revivals in the Bible. Now, it's such a big passage, we're going to have to take two weeks to learn, look at it. But if Nehemiah were to give his testimony to us today, the first thing that he would tell us is about the Bible and true revival. Nehemiah had been along with the Jews in captivity in Babylon. The 70 years are over, and so they started to return. The first group came back and their story is recorded in the book of Ezra. They build, rebuild the temple under Zerubbabel. And then the second wave returns from captivity. They're led by Nehemiah who will become governor of Judah and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so the temple and the walls restore the testimony of the honor and the glory and the power of God. But now all of the work is done. And verse 1 says that all of the people gathered as one man before the square at the water gate. 
and, and what follows in this revival that is going to be sparked is the place that the Word of God prays. I want you to know there is no revival biblically and there is no revival in church history that does not start with the Word of God speaking powerfully to the people of God and God's people responding to His Word. So I want you just to see seven things that happen from the Word of God as the people gather as one at the water gate. First of all, there is a renewed appetite for the Word of God. Read all of verse 1. And all of the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. They come together as one and they cry out that Ezra would come and bring the word of God to them. Now I want you to think what has been happening. They have spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. They've heard little of the word of God. Now they have returned and they have been busy rebuilding the wall. That's an important task. It is what God wanted them to do to restore his glory. But they had been distracted from hearing the word of God. I want you to know all of us face the danger of distraction. Things that just keep us away from God's Word and the attention that it demands from us. For, for years, I would stand before students who were preparing for ministry, and I would say to them, the greatest danger that you have facing you in ministry is that you're going to get so busy and so involved in ministry that you'll lose your quiet time. You'll lose your devotional time, your time alone with the Lord. And you're going to end up, and you're going to study the Bible for sermons that, and, and to speak to people, but you're not going to have time for God to speak to your life. And when that happens, you open yourself up for all kinds of danger. Some of you will get moral, immorally involved with somebody else and leave the master the ministry some of you will end up dry and discouraged and you won't have an answer for the difficulties that you'll face and you're going to drop out of the ministry if you lose your walk with Jesus if you lose your time alone with the Lord you're going to lose ministry now I'm going to say the same thing to you you face the danger of distraction. It's easy to get so busy with activities, with sports, with all of the things we do as a church, that you just lose that time alone with the Lord. It's easy 
to spend more time on social media than you do in the Bible. It's easy to spend more time, a lot more time watching TV, mindless most of it, than it is in the Word of God. And that's where they were. Now let me give you a principle. That God feeds us from His Word always in accordance with our appetite. If you have little appetite from the, for the Word, you'll get little out of the Word. If you have a great appetite for the Word, God will speak greatly to your life. Now here are the people of Jerusalem. They have rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the wall, and now they come and they cry out to Ezra the priest, bring the book to us. We want to hear from God. I want you to know every real revival begins when God's people are hungry for God's word. Not only was there a renewed appetite for the word of God, but there was a great reverence for the word of God. Look at verses 2 and 3. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from the, uh, the facing of the square from the water gate from early morning to midday. That's Tommy Owens' favorite verse. He asked me if I'd do that one day. No, I'm not going to. Just think of early morning to midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand in the ears of the people. Now listen, the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, to say that they were, had a reverence for God's Word doesn't mean that they worshipped the Bible. It means that they were reverently attentive to the reading of God's Word because they recognized it for what it is, the very Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that it is theonoustros, it is God-breathed. When you and I open up this book and we read the, the words on the pages, we're not reading the religious ideas and opinions of different men who lived thousands of years ago. But I want you to know that the God who by the power of his word spoke everything into being, who said, let there be light, and who brought forth the plant life by the power of his word, who did everything by the power of his word, that he has spoken to us in his word. When you and I open up this book, we're opening up what God has said, the true, very Word of God. But we pay reverent attention to it, not only because it is inspired by God, but because God speaks to His people through His Word. 
You and I open up the Word. It's not, it's not a dead book. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing asunder between the, joy, the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. I want you to know you read this Bible and it's more relevant to your life than tomorrow's headline on Fox News, okay? God speaks. I mean, you, you go on in, in 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine to tell us what to believe, to build truth into our lives, for reproof to show us where we're wrong in our lives, to expose our sins, for correction to show us how to live right, and for instruction in righteousness, how to grow in Christ's likeness of life. You and I come to the Bible, and God speaks. Let me give you some examples. Salvation. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul had said to, to Timothy, you've known the Scriptures from a youth that were able to make you wise unto salvation. The only way that anyone can be saved is through the gospel that comes through the word of God. And there are some of you that are here this morning, and God has been speaking to your heart through his word, and he's been waking conviction in your heart, and you are aware of your need for Jesus, and you haven't responded, but I want you to know that the God who created you, the God who loved you and sent his son to die for you, has given you his sure word so that you would be able to be wise to salvation, and today's the day for you to come. We reverence the word of God because it's vital in our sanctification. In John 17, Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer the evening before the crucifixion, and he prays for you and me. And in verse 17, he prays for us to the Father, sanctify them through your truth, your word is truth. The word will grow you in holiness and righteousness and godliness and day-to-day -day living. David said in Psalm 139, or 119, that the word protects me. I hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or he says in that same chapter that it is the word that gives us wisdom in daily living. Your word is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. It shows me how to live. Eh? Because God speaks to us through his word that there is this reverent attentiveness. The third thing that Nehemiah would tell us, People were gathered. He had appointed Ezra, the priest, to stand before them. And he would tell us that we must have the clear reading of the Bible. I want you to look down to verse 8. Ezra and the other priests who are named there, it says they read from the book, from the law of God clearly. 
and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now, you know what it means? They read it, they explained it, and they helped them understand how it affected their lives. Can I give three words to every one of you who is engaged in some kind of Bible teaching, whether it's in Sunday school or whether it is in leading a 242 group or leading a Bible study, leading a one-on-one -on -one discipleship or just teaching your children the scriptures in the, in the home. Let me give you three words. The first one is accuracy. You want to teach what the Bible says. The second one is clarity. You want to teach it so other people can understand it. And the third word is practicality. You want to take the Word of God and apply it to lives. Now, those three words are important for everyone who teaches the Scripture, but I don't, you know, it also applies to everyone who studies the Scripture. I mean, your quest is not just to spend five minutes, ten minutes, and just kind of peruse over, but it is to dig deep into the Word of God. What does God say? What does the Bible say? What is the clear meaning of it? And what is God saying to my life? How does it apply to me? Is there a truth for me to learn to build faith? Is there a command given for me to obey? Is there a sin that I'm to be warned about or that I'm to repent of? And so what is God saying? Is there something about God that I need to see that I love him more, worship him great? What does the Bible say to my life? There has to be the clarity of the message of the Word of God that rings and resonates deep in our heart. Fourth thing that Nehemiah would tell us is that there needs to be a humble reception of the Word, of the Bible. Go back up to verse 5. says, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all of the people, for he was above the people. He was on a platform, and he opened it up, and all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. hearing the word of God they don't sit there and say well you know I don't know if I agree with that or not and what they said God's speaking I want to hear it in my heart not questioning God I'm, I'm laying my life down to what he says James 121 says receive with meekness receive 
the engrafted word. You know what that means? It means to be teachable. I come to God's word to learn his will, his way for my life. But it also means putting myself in submission to the word. I don't come and say, well, you know, I'll do that, but not that. I, I've had folks do that. I've, I, I've had folks, you know, just go to them in counseling. Here's what the Bible says. Well, I, I don't care. I'm not going to do it. I had a fellow. Been active in church for a lot of years. Came, was leaving his wife for another woman. I went to him, sat down with him. We just went through the scripture. He said, I believe all of that, but I'm going to do it anyway. And it wasn't too long after that that he crashed his plane into an open field. You, you just don't mock God's word. You don't say, I'm, I, I'm exempted from God's word. You're not. Meekness is our submission. We come to God to know what to do. The fifth thing that Nehemiah would point us to is the repentance that the Word of God brings into our lives. Look at verses 9, look at verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribes, and Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, this day is holy uh, to your God, do not mourn or weep, for the people wept as they heard the words of God. Can I tell you that the word of God, it's, it's sometimes uncomfortable. Because it's like a light that exposes the sin of my heart. There's some things about me you don't know. And I'm not going to tell you because you won't like me. But I want you to know God knows everything about me. And when I'm hungry for the Word of God, and when I, I understand God's just going to speak to me, and I read it for its clear sense, and I humbly receive it into my life, he's going to expose things in my life that I need to deal with. That I need to be clean before him with in my life. Can you see the setting? Here the people are. Bring us the book. Give us God's word. We want to hear what God has said. And they mourn and they weep because they wanted every area of sin and disobedience in their lives taken care of. Now, why is that important? <laughs> because of the 
sixth thing that Nehemiah would tell us. And that is the rejoicing that comes from God's Word. Can I tell you something? God doesn't convict us so we'll confess our sins because He wants to hurt us, but instead because He wants to heal us. Let me just give it to you. Go back to verse 9. <coughs> Nehemiah, also the, go at the governor, and Ezra, the priests, and the scribes, and the Levites, who, who taught the people, said to all of the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for the people wept as they heard the word of God. Then he said to them, Oh God, you, you've gotten clean. Now go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing already. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Boy, brought new joy. Can I just tell you what happens when God speaks powerfully to his people through his word? And they get clean, and they get their priorities right, they're just going to love Jesus more. <laughs> really are. Just going to love him more and more and more and more. You're going to be more amazed at the wonder of his redeeming love. You're going to be more amazed at the wonder that he would come to live inside of you. You're going to be more amazed that he would choose to use you somehow for his glory. It's just amazing. There's joy. I, you know when a revival comes to a church, how you know it? People are just joyful in Jesus. I mean, they talk one another about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And it is the joy of the Lord that's the strength of our worship. It is the joy of the Lord that is the strength of everything we need, the strength of our living. And then there's one last thing that Nehemiah would tell us about real revival and the Bible. And that is a return to obedience. I want you to look at verse 13. And on the second day, the heads of the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the Lord that in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of, of the seventh month. Now, here, here's what happened. They've been in Babylon, no word of God. They've been back in Jerusalem. They've been busy, distracted. And, 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 and now God speaks and they discover, wow, God has said one of the great feasts is the feast of Booth. That feast of Booth celebrated his, re, his, his, his faithfulness to Israel as they traveled from the wilderness, from Egypt 
to the promised land. How they lived in tents. The booths uh, were representative of that. And they celebrated God's faithfulness, how he gave them manna and quail to eat, how he gave them the law, how he gave them his presence in the tabernacle, how he revealed his glory on Mount Sinai. And it just reminded them of the greatness of God's salvation. And, And they said, we haven't been doing that. Let's do it. And, and, and you follow the verses, they just pitch booths everywhere. I mean, I mean, they're building booths on, on top of booths and on top of buildings and on vacant. They said, we're just going to celebrate God's faithfulness to his people. Now, let me tell you something. What happens when the first six things happen? You hunger for God's word. You hear it with reverent attentiveness. You hear clearly what God is saying. You receive it with meekness. It brings you to saying, I want to be clean before God. And new, fresh joy fills you. Can I tell you what happens? You say in your word. You're just going to love Jesus more and more and more. And Jesus said very clearly, if you love me, carry a Bible everywhere you go. If you love me, I mean, if you really love me, come to church on Sunday night. What did he say? If you love me, keep my commandments. Walk in fresh obedience. Can I tell you something? A lot of us have bought a lie. We believe that happiness is found somewhere out there in the world. But God said to us, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of sinners, or, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. They don't have their life shaped by those who reject God, leave God out. But in contrast, The blessed, the happy, one that is filled with the joy of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he does meditate day and night. That person will be like a tree planted by waters that will bring forth fruit in the season. How many of you want God to speak to your heart? I mean, seriously, you want God to speak. You don't want to just study the Bible for knowledge. You want God to speak. If he speaks, there'll be some things that'll happen. There'll be some of you who will come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. He'll take the word of salvation and he'll 
apply it to your life right now, and you'll know that you need to come to Jesus.